Thank you for listening to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast from Asheville, North Carolina. For more information on Trinity Baptist Church, please visit tbcashville.org. Or to learn more about our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton, please visit ralphsextonministries.com. The speaker for today is Pastor Winston Parrish. Tonight, for just a few minutes, I want us to explore in 2 Peter chapter 1 some incredible truths that the Apostle Peter left for you and me to read in this Scripture. There are some things in this Scripture that speak to all of us. And here's my question to you tonight as we begin our study. If you're a saved, born-again Christian and you identify as so publicly, would you raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand if you're not ashamed that you identify as a Christian tonight? Wonderful. Almost everybody raised their hand. So that means if you raised your hand, then what the Apostle Peter has for us here in this selection of Scripture is for you. If you identify yourself as someone that has been saved by the glorious application of the blood of Jesus Christ to your heart and to your life, and if He has saved you, this applies to you. And so for all of us tonight, there's an incredible truth that's found in these verses. So let's read verse 1 through 11 of 2 Peter chapter 1. And the verses will be on your screen if you need them. Simon Peter opens up this letter with a greeting. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have tamed like precious faith. That word there, like precious faith, means literally an equal faith as the Apostle Peter. He's saying people who have the same thought process and mind when it comes to the things of Jesus Christ. With us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that He called us to glory and virtue. Verse number 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And verse 5 is a bridge, if you will, to the rest of this chapter. And besides this, all the things that I've already mentioned, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And verse number 10 says, Wherefore, the rather barren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Ye shall never fall fall. In verse 11, and this is where we're in tonight, for so an entrance 
shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the truth of your word. And God, thank you for what it means for us as believers tonight that we can come together and break bread and study your word and through and by the ministering of the Holy Spirit, God, that our lives can be changed, our lives can be redirected, and that, Father, you can do things for us that only you can do. And so, Father, for just a few minutes, we ask that you meet with us as we read the Scripture. Father, hide me behind the cross, empty me of self, and use me as your servant. In thy name I pray. Amen. Verse number 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1 identifies and highlights a few things, and I want to make quick note of a few things in the first verses of this chapter, and then I want us to get to the meat of this chapter, what the Apostle Peter labeled out and listed for us to pay attention to. The first thing that he noticed, noticed in verse 3, he says, "...according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue." In other words, ladies and gentlemen, tonight as you sit here, most of you raise your hands that you're a born-again Christian, a believer of Jesus Christ, that He has saved you from your sin. And if you have accepted Jesus Christ, then through and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, what the Apostle Peter is telling you tonight is that you have everything you need in your life right now. You have everything you will ever need in your life right now. Now, Christ is sufficient for all things, all situations, all circumstances, all problems, all issues of life can be found an answer in Christ. And what Peter is encouraging you, the church, in is that if you have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you, be encouraged, brothers and sisters, you have all that you need to make it through life through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That in itself is enough to say amen and go to the house on. That's encouraging. You have everything you need. Christ is sufficient for all that I need. I'll never find a place in my life where Jesus fails me. I'll never go to a place or a situation or a circumstance where Christ comes up short. Christ will always be sufficient. And then he reminds you of who you used to be in verse number 4. Notice what he said. Whereby are giving unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. And this is my favorite part. Having escaped the corruption that is the world through lust. In other words, you are no longer prisoners in Satan's prison. The world, the devil, and the flesh will hound you and chase you until God calls you home to heaven. Remember, we say it all the time here, this is not home. You are not to feel completely comfortable here. You are a passing alien here. You are an illegal alien in some ways here. Your passport says heaven issued by Jesus. This is not home. So while you're through this life, there will be temptation, there will be trial, but the Apostle Peter is telling you tonight, you're no longer prisoners to Satan. You're no longer going to a place of eternal separation from God. You've been saved. You're no longer prisoners. You will be hounded. You will be chased. But no longer is sin the master 
of your life. So He's reminding you of who you used to be. You're no longer in chains. You're no longer in bondage. And again, tonight, that's enough to leave on. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to His name. I don't have to ever understand what it is to go to hell. I don't ever have to understand what separation from God will be after life here. God saved me. And for that, I'm thankful. So the first thing He showed you was that Christ is efficient and sufficient in everything that you'll ever face in everything that you'll need. And then he reminded you that you are no longer a prisoner to Satan. Now, in verse number 5, this bridge to the rest of what Peter is trying to tell us tonight. He's wanting you to make sure tonight that you, as we go forward and as we read this Scripture, he is causing us to make a little checklist. Am I saved? Am I no longer a prisoner of Satan? Am I no longer a prisoner to the bondage of sin? And if you have checked those boxes, if you will, if God has saved you, then now you have more responsibility that falls in the rest of this chapter. Read here again in verse number 5. And besides this, and if you go back through verse 1 through 4, there were some words that were highlighted. In verse number 1, there was precious faith. In verse number 3, there's divine power given to us in all things. And in verse number 4, precious promises, divine nature. And Peter is saying, beside all these other things, besides your faith and its foundation, beside your faith and its foundation, add to your faith these things. And if tonight's message, if, if we took these selected verses and gave it a title, I believe the title would be, Grow or You'll Go Blind. Grow or you'll go blind. And so we see here that Peter is uh, encouraging the readers of this letter to give all diligence, or in other words, give it your best effort in your Christian life and in your walk with Jesus. Give it your best effort in all that you do and all that you say for Christ. Give it your best effort. And I'm going to be honest with you, one of the hardest things to watch in life is efforts that are futile. And I'll be honest with you, as soon as I say that, efforts that are futile, I think of me coming here at 6 a.m. on Friday mornings and attempting to play basketball. That is a futile effort at the game of basketball. Ladies and gentlemen, I have no speed. I cannot jump very high. I can shoot if they'll stay out of my way. And most of the time they don't want to play with me because I play prison rules more like football than basketball. It is a futile effort in playing the game of basketball. Now, we play football, I'm all in, and that effort will not be futile. That's a man's sport anyway. We won't go there. But efforts that are futile are hard to watch. And I'm afraid that some people in their Christian life are at a place where they're making an effort that appears futile. It's like this. If I was to take you to the Asheville airport in a Boeing pickup plane, any big plane, let's say a 777 lands at Asheville airport. Let's go even further. Let's say it's Air Force One lands at Asheville airport. And we put beside that airplane, Air Force One, a Volkswagen bug. And we take chains and we take come-alongs and we hook a rig up from the Volkswagen to the plane. Okay? 
And the Volkswagen gets all that it can mustered up and they put it in drive. And you know what's crazy? They've, they've proved it. They've shown it. I can't remember how big of a plane it was. But one of those little diesel bugs, one of those old ones, can actually get enough before the engine blows to move that plane. And it'll get enough momentum to actually come all the way down the tarmac. And that little bug will actually move that massive jet. And really, for some people here tonight, and some people we know that should be here tonight, your, your, your life, your walk with Christ has become, in a way, kind of like that bug pulling the plane. Yes, the plane is moving, but it's not really going anywhere. It's making noise. It's in motion. But it's not doing what it was intended to do. A plane was made so that it could fly. And because it flies, it has two massive engines on the wings that allow it to fly. And some of us do this. We get saved. We get born again. We uh, join a local church. But we just stay hooked up to the Volkswagen and expect us to carry us to our destination. And here tonight, I think God would have us say, you know what? I'm tired of living with the Volkswagen pulling me. I'm ready to get into this multi-million dollar wonderful aircraft, fire it up, turn on the engines, take flight, and go somewhere with my walk in faith in Jesus Christ. I don't want this to be a futile effort when I get home to heaven. Does that make sense? I want Jesus to do something through me, and I want my life here to count. I don't want it to be a futile effort. And what that translates to is a form of godliness that denies power. It's a religious experience. I come here, I go to church, I attend Awana as a leader, I go to Thrive and I help, I've joined the choir, and it's wonderful and it's great. But what the Apostle Peter is saying in these other verses is that if you are not doing these things, you're really missing out on what the walk of a Christian really is. And he's highlighting that it can be a futile effort if you're not doing these things. You see here tonight, everybody under the sound of my voice, including me, we all have a responsibility to do these things as Christians. And let's continue and see what Peter said. And I have a question for you. Have you ever seen someone that gets saved, comes to church, and then that's it? They're stuck. There's no growth there's no happiness. There's no joy. Well, I have good news. Peter says that these things, that if we will do them, will assure us to not get in that rut. If we will follow this list, then Peter says you will have victory. You will live in victory through and by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Or if you don't, then verse 8 describes that. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, that you will be useful for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It turns the old adage, instead of what can the church or what can Jesus do for me, Yes, He'll save you. Yes, He'll call you. Yes, He'll give you something to do for His kingdom. But instead of what can Jesus or the church do for me, it changes the attitude to what can I do today for Jesus? What can I do today for the body of believers who is my church? It's an attitude changer and it's a game changer. And really what we need to be aware of and where we need to use extreme caution is this, is that passiveness 
will bring growth. Passiveness will bring growth. That is not true. This attitude of, well, God is God, and it'll be what it'll be, and I'm just going to be here and be like a knot on a log. That's one of my grandmama's terms, knot on a log. She loved that one. That breeds no growth. And so what Peter is wanting you and me both to see tonight is that as a Christian, you have a duty and a responsibility to live an active mindset in your faith. This is not a passive faith. This is an active faith. This is an active relationship. This is an active experience with Jesus Christ who saved you. And this is a wonderful opportunity for you to see in your life, this is real. This is tangible. This isn't something that's an allegory and something that's uh, unobtainable or unreachable. This is where God's work in your life meets our responsibility and the effort that we've been mandated to have to be salt and to be light. This is where it comes together. And that's what's wonderful about the free will and grace that God's given to all of us. We get to partake in this. We're not robots. He said, I love you and I want you to be a part of this active, vibrant, healthy relationship. So he goes through and he labels these things. God's work and our effort joined together. And it's like this. Let me give this example. If I was to give you 250 acres and tell you to farm it, then what does that mean? To farm. To, well, to grow stuff. But to grow corn or to grow tomatoes or to grow okra or cantaloupe or if you like me and you like to take a whole pack of uh, seed, of squash seed and put it in your granddaddy's uh, fertilizer pile and watch a squash the size of this pulpit grow. If that's farming, I'm good at that. Real good at it. But let's point this out. If someone was to give you a farm and say, okay, farm it, work it, then what, what, it, well, what is required of you? Well, God has already provided the farm. He's given you the land. And let's say that God gives you the tools and he gives you the seed. And if you're going to work it, then God's giving you the ability to work. But the farmer has a responsibility. The farmer has to go and work the soil. The farmer has to get up and set his clock early and go and milk the cows. The farmer has a responsibility to make sure that everything gets watered and that everything's planted in the appropriate field. It's the responsibility and the effort of the farmer. If you're going to have beef, it takes work. If you're going to have poultry on your table, it takes work. And if you're going to have fried green tomatoes, amen, with your meal, somebody had to work to make the tomatoes. But do you know what the farmer can't do? He can't make it rain. He can't create photosynthesis. He can't make that happen. God does, though. But God honors the effort of the farmer. And because God honors the effort of the farmer, there is a harvest because of God's divine love for us and our effort. In other words, if we want to be lazy in our walk, then we will produce a lazy harvest spiritually. If we want to dig in deep and plant and sow and work, then God will honor it and there will reap a great spiritual harvest for all of us. Our farm. And what Peter is saying is that if you'll follow these things, and if you'll follow them and go after them and seek them vigorously, then God will honor the effort because He loves you and there'll be a harvest 
in your life spiritually. So what are these things? I want to give these to you so quickly because you can go back and you can look at them. They're in the scripture. But if you're making notes, and I hope that you're taking notes, don't come to church on Sunday without your Bible and a note opportunity. You've got to write some of this down. God may give you something as Pastor Ralph is preaching or one of the other pastors is preaching, and you'll be so mad you didn't write it down later. So if you're taking notes tonight, make this note. Number one, the first thing that Peter mentioned in these verses is virtue. Virtue or goodness. And how this is explained is moral excellence. The fruitfulness, the evidence of your faith. What can I do for someone else out of the goodness of my what? What do we say? Heart. Who lives in your heart? Amen. And what indwells your heart? The Holy Spirit of God. So what you're saying here is your virtue or your goodness through and by the Holy Spirit of God. And see, what happens is because of that goodness that lives inside of you, that is Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit, others will see the reflection of that and go, what is that? It's different. They'll see something that's different about you than the other coworker, or you than the other family member that doesn't profess faith in Christ. And what it'll do without you even knowing when you're very kind or you're friendly to someone that maybe didn't even deserve it, it will draw them to this attention. There's something different about that person. And so Peter says, if you want to live a life that will reap and that you will see harvest, the first thing you have to do is have virtue, moral excellence. It's not that they would see my name. It's not that they would see my glory. It's not that I would get the accolades, but that they would see a glimpse of Jesus in me and through me. Nothing more than a vessel. The second thing is knowledge. And knowledge here is nothing more than practical wisdom. Practical wisdom. This is wisdom, depth, stability, and maturity. Wisdom, depth, stability, and maturity. Where in this crazy world am I going to get wisdom, depth, stability, and maturity? Where am I going to find those things? The Word of God. Your knowledge comes not from what you feel. It's not your emotions. He made me mad. She made me mad. They are all mad at me. That's not where you draw your knowledge from. That's not what you take your input data source from. Your data source is the holy inspired Word of God for every situation and circumstance in your life. It's knowledge, practical wisdom. Wisdom, depth, stability, and maturity for the Christian life is found in the Word of God. And now our responsibility with that wisdom, with that knowledge, is to do this. It's to learn it. It's to believe it. It's to apply it. And it's to obey it. It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to understand it. Knowledge is the second thing that Peter points out. And what am I doing with this information? Am I growing? Am I coming to church with my open heart and my open mind? And what's wonderful about this dark, terrible culture that we are seeing in the world that is crumbling literally in front of us, the Bible says that it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It'll never fail you. Everything in your Bible is completely and totally true. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to worry. There should be no concern. Your Bible is true and it is a firm, solid foundation for you to live your entire life off of. Well, my, my family is having some issues and problems. The Scripture has answer. My family is facing something it's never faced before. There is a Scripture for you. It's knowledge, 
practical wisdom. The the third thing here that Peter mentions in these verses is self-control. Self-control. You controlling your passions instead of your passions controlling you. Now think about who's writing this. You controlling your passions instead of your passions controlling you. And think who is writing this. Peter. And what's so incredible to see in this verse is that Peter, who once was the blundering disciple, is now the holy inspired writer and the apostle of this epistle. Is that not incredible to see that growth in his life? And that should encourage all of us that there is hope for growth. You do not have to stay where you are. But Peter says if you're going to grow, you must have self-control. And if I'm being perfectly, totally, 100% transparent with you, this is where I struggle personally more than anywhere in my life. Self-control. Well, Winston, you're a preacher. You're a pastor. Listen, I have problems and issues and, and, and things I can't even put into words just like you do. But this ministers to me that there is hope for growth. I can do better. I can get better. I don't have to stay where I am. Peter is perfect evidence of this. The man who denied his Savior and Master, who saw the transfiguration of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, who denied him, is now the anointed apostle who God is using to write the Bible. Is that not a sign of incredible growth? But Peter said you have to have self-control. You have to have self-control. Self-control can be so many things. Anger. Maybe it's a spending problem. Maybe self-control tonight for you is a problem in your marriage. How you talk to your spouse. How you talk to your children. Maybe self-control tonight is an issue with a drug. Maybe it's pornography or music or entertainment. I don't know where you are with that. But the Bible says that there is help And there is hope found in God's Word that you must have self-control. And what's beautiful about that is you don't have to do it in your own power. The Holy Spirit of God gives you the power to conquer. We are more than conquerors through Christ. In my weakness, He is strong. That's the beauty of the Gospel of Jesus. Is that I don't have to be strong enough to win. He's strong enough to win. That's incredible, people. That should stir your heart. That should give you hope. Well, I've been coming to this church for 55 years. Yes, I know, but what Peter's saying is you need to grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of Jesus Christ until the day that He calls you home to have a perfect body and a perfect mind. And I'm so thankful for that. The fourth thing is patience. Patience. And and notice here, there's an order in the Scripture how he does this. And I truly believe that the Apostle Peter wrote this, that self-control would come before patience. And patience is waiting on God and pressing on when you don't feel like it. It goes back to that emotion thing. It goes back to living in the knee-jerk reaction. You have to have self-control before you have patience. Why do you say that? Because of this. There is a certain order because this comes from self-control. The impulsive person gives up easily by emotion. And in other words, when he is fed up, he gives up. There must be self-control before patience. And Peter encourages us all to have patience pressing on when we don't feel like it. Pressing on when we're tired, when we're weak. 
and when there's a battle, and when there's a struggle. The fifth thing is godliness. There's only two more. I'll be brief. Godliness. And I feel like we all look at this word godliness, and it's so intimidating. How in the world am I to achieve godliness? Here's what's great about this. You will never do it in your own power. That's why it keeps going back to the fact that Jesus Christ indwells you by the Holy Spirit of God. Godliness. And this is how we can show that our lives are where they need to be. In worship, we're expressing that passion that we have for God or living a life close to God, as close to godliness as we can. Be ye therefore holy for I am holy And what's great about that is when you express that in worship, not only are you expressing it, and not only is your worship encouraging other believers, encouraging your own heart, and not only does God love it when we worship, when we sing, when we give, but when you do it, it's like an automatic regenerator. It refreshes you to keep going forward for God. It's a beautiful system that's been, that's been built. That's why if Satan can, if the enemy can, if he can keep you from worshiping, he can get you isolated. And when you're isolated, you feel like there's no hope. But godliness has to come through worship. My prayer life, my reading of Scripture, how I sing, how I act, how I conduct myself. So number five is godliness being expressed in that passion and being refreshed in that passion. Number six is brotherly kindness. And this is nothing more than a generous spirit to other believers. Other people that raise their hand tonight, they are your brothers and they are your sisters in Christ. This is your family. Well, they look weird. Well, they may think you look weird. Well, they smell funny sometimes. Yeah, so do you. Well, they don't do it the way I do it, but they're still your family. And what God is telling us here is that we have a responsibility to be kind to one another. And that sounds so cliche, and it sounds so little in the grand scheme of things, but kindness can go so far in someone's life. Just be friendly. They are not my kind of person. Smile anyway. Jesus loved you. He died for you. Put a smile on your face. What did pastor say about that visitor we had that They heard that Trinity had a kind disposition, so they came to church to worship here. What a responsibility we have to continue that. Be kind. Well, I've got a bit of a sinus headache, and I just don't feel like being kind to anyone. But you don't know what the person you're not willing to be kind to is going through. They may be on their way to the cancer center. They may be going to the funeral home. They may be even coming to your church Sunday. Be kind. And church, when they get here, go above and beyond to show yourself friendly. It's biblical. We have a mandate to be kind to one another. A generous spirit to other believers. And with that comes this. And this is so incredible for us to hear and understand. But be slow to believe the worst about your brothers and sisters that come to church here. Well, I saw a Facebook post, an Instagram post, and I'm telling you, I saw it all in the one post. I see it all. I've got it figured out. Well, did you see what she was wearing? Did you hear what he said? Did you? Hey, I'm telling you. 
Be slow in your judgment towards one another. It's part of being kind. Be slow to judge your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, I know we are family. And yes, we do get on each other's nerves. But be kind to them and be slow to judge them. Because when you get to a place and a point in your life when you've messed up, you will want slow, tender judgment on your behalf. That's convicting to me. I want to be slow in how I think about somebody when I see them. God, help me pray for them instead of God, get them away from me. We've got to love each other. Can I tell you something? We are all that we have. It's God and each other. And when I get in a place and I get in a dark spot and I get in a valley, I want to run to my place of refuge, my church. But I must come to a place where there are people who love Christ more than they're worried about their own condition and situation for an hour in a building. We must be kind to one another. Smile. Show yourself friendly. Brotherly kindness. A generous spirit. Number seven, it's mentioned in the Bible here is charity. But that word charity simply means this. Love. And number seven, and the final thing that Peter gave us in this diagram for our lives is love. And the greatest way you can describe love is Christ. He loved you when you were unlovable. He died for you when you were undeserving. He resurrected Himself in His own power, giving you no doubt about His deity. And yet He died and He came and He wants a relationship with you. And because He loves us and because He wants a relationship with us, He's asking us and He's telling us. And in Matthew chapter 5, He mandated the church to be salt and to be light. And the way that you're salt and the way that you're light is that you love. First, you love your family. Love yourself through what God's given you. I love me because of what Jesus has done for me. I want to take care of myself. I want to be here. I want to do something for the cause of Christ. It's love. And notice how he set that up. Christ, each other, and the world. And really with love, there's another mandate. Pursue them. Pursue who? Everybody. Pursue them. Make the lost your priority this week. Make the lost at the top of your list for everything that you do and say in public. When you go to the grocery store, ponder the lost soul of men who are going to die and experience hell if it's not for Christ that saves them. That should be the priority of our existence when we're out in public. It's our life. God did something for us. He changed our lives. He saved us. Now I want others to know about it. But if you don't follow these other things, remember there's an order. If I'm not patient, if I'm not living a life of godliness, if I'm not kind, if I don't show love, I'll never reach anyone with the love of Christ. There's a difference in shoving a track in somebody's chest and saying, here, read this, than handing someone a track with love and saying, Hey, I want to tell you a story about a man that loved me when I didn't deserve to be loved. Love. That's the attraction of the gospel. That I don't have to face eternity without Christ and I don't have to live here without the indwellment of the Holy Spirit. Love. I've closed with this and it's what Peter closed this epistle with. This portion of the epistle, I should say. 
He gave all these things, the seven things, the virtue, the knowledge, the self-control, the patience, the godliness, the brotherly kindness, the love. And then he finishes with two things. He finishes with warning and then he finishes with encouragement. I want to give you the warning first. Go to verse 9. He mentions all these things, the seven things we've mentioned tonight. And then he gets to this verse and listen to what he says. But he that lacketh these things is blind. Listen to what that's saying. Peter's saying, if you lack these things, if you lack virtue and knowledge and self-control and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love, if you lack these things, Peter is saying, you are blind. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Why can he not see afar off? Because he's too worried about what's going on right here. He's looking straight down in the circle of his own world that revolves around him or her. We have to have an outward outlook on life. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. And he gives us this warning. And so if you're here tonight and these things that have been listed in the Scripture don't stir you, if your heart doesn't feel a desire and a passion to pursue these things vigorously with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength, then I would submit to you that something in your life tonight is wrong. Don't ignore it. God said there is a mandate on the life of a Christian to follow these things. And if you're not living these things, then tonight you are falling short of your growth chart that is expected for you as a Christian here on earth. And Peter said if you're not following them, you're blind. And not only that you're blind, but that you can't see far off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You forgot what Christ did for you. You've gotten, as my grandma, I'm throwing another grandmama statement out there. You got a little too big for your britches, big boy. That's what I've heard before. I, she never said it to me. I heard her say it to others. My Uncle Kent being one. I'm just kidding. She said it to me a lot. But you know what? I don't want to finish this life with this abundance of available knowledge and fall short. I have a responsibility to grow daily in the knowledge and the love of Jesus Christ. And Peter is warning those people who don't, you're blind. That may sting, that may hurt, but the Bible reproves and the Bible convicts and it will help us grow if we'll be tender to it. Another thing that is happening here in these encouragements, in verse number, let's see, In verse number 10, look at what he says. I hope this encourages somebody tonight. I really do. And I feel like God would encourage somebody with this. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence. You're giving diligence to what? These seven things. Pay attention to what I'm saying here. Give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Notice there it didn't say fail. It said fall. And what Peter is saying here, can I translate this in in a way that absolutely makes my spirit jump out of itself? Peter is saying, if you will do these things that God's called you to do, 
It will be the ultimate security of your salvation that you could ever have. This is not your salvation, but this will give you such assurance of your salvation. If you'll live a life with these seven things, you will live a life where you never doubt or you never worry your calling, your election, your salvation. There is great peace in these seven things. And then the last reward that he gives is that when one day I get called to heaven or Jesus comes and I give the account of my life before God the Father and God the Son reads the report card of my life to the Father, I don't want Jesus to look at God the Father and say, Here's Stan Winston who had all of this wonderful knowledge available to him. He knew the truth, but Father, I'm afraid he didn't really do what he was supposed to do with it. He didn't make an effort. He knows me. He's here. But there was no effort. It was a lazy option for his Christian life. And I believe, church, that God has called us to live lives that are different and that Christ died on our cross so that we could live a life with great effort for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I finish, I want to finish well. I want to hear well done, faithful servant. God's giving you the opportunity, the ability, and everything you'll ever need to do it. Now the effort is up to us. What are we going to do with the information, with the knowledge that God's given us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for salvation, for the gift of Jesus. And God, for these verses, God, that convict my heart, that prick my heart. And God, that won't make me want to draw closer to you. Father, I'm so aware that I need more of you every day. God, I'm so aware that I am desperate for you every hour that I live on this earth. I want more and more of you. And God, I'm so thankful that it's not up to me. It's not in my power. But Father, because you loved me and you saved me, you gave me the Holy Spirit of God. And through and by that power, Father, I can achieve these great things. God, that encourages me. God, for the Christian here tonight that is hurting, that is in a place of doubt and fear, God, would you give them perseverance tonight? Lord, for the one who is doubting their salvation, Father, may they take these words and may they apply them to their life and hide them in their heart. So, Father, that they may have security of their salvation. Lord, give our church peace through your word. Grow our men, grow our ladies in your word. God, protect our children from sin, our marriages from sin. And God, help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ every day. God, help us to seek after it like water in a desert. Lord, my soul longs to grow more in your word and more in your truth. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for Peter tonight. We're thankful that we can see the great growth that you allowed him to experience. May it be the prayer of all of our hearts and life tonight. God, help us to grow so that we don't go blind in our spiritual walk with you. For it is in your name we pray. Amen and amen.
Thank you for being with us today. I pray that today God spoke to your heart. You know, it's one thing to hear Ralph talk. It's one thing to hear a choir sing. It's one thing to hear a group bring a special song presentation. But it's altogether different when you're sitting there in that hotel room, in your house, maybe listening on your phone while you're at work, and God speaks to your heart. That's not me. That's not a Baptist, a Methodist, or a Presbyterian church. That's God. That's personal. That's you. And the Bible teaches quite clearly that when God touches your heart, when He speaks to you, that you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible teaches that all of us have to have Him. You say, well, Brother Ralph, your dad was a preacher. My dad being a preacher couldn't help me. Well, you say your mama taught Sunday school and she prayed. That couldn't help me. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, not me, not the Baptist, the Bible says that there's none righteous, though not one. Today is the day of salvation. You can begin anew. It can start over. The past can be covered by the blood. You can get out of living in your rearview mirror, the guilt, the problems. God can forgive you and you can start over today. You say, Brother Ralph, how is that possible? Well, a simple prayer is that very beginning. God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I promise you, God, from this day forward, I'll serve you with the rest of my life. You can begin again in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you call us, you write to us. We'll send you a copy of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to get into a local church, a church in your community, that you can have a fellowship of faith that will help you grow and teach you about the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's serve the Lord together and let's meet each other in heaven. I'll be praying for you and I ask you to pray for me.